everybody, and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Dean Radcliffe. Dean, do you want to say hello? Hello. Yeah, um, I'm usually recording from home. I don't remember if we recorded with you from home, but uh, kind of weird times. Uh, no, I was in a, in an ISO booth at the office, and now I'm right. in the ISO booth that is my basement uh, office yeah. down here. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of people working from home these days. Um, do you want to uh, just give us a brief rundown of who you are and what you're known for? Yeah, um, <laughs> what am I known for? I'm still working on that part. I'm, I'm a software developer. Um, I like to say I've been doing web development since the table tag was the new hotness. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, uh, so I, I work at G2 in Chicago. Okay. And I'm in a little suburb just north of Chicago called Evanston. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I've been a .NET developer a Ruby developer and a full stack JS developer and instructor, uh, bootcamp instructor. Um, and so, yeah, I've kind of had like those, those different stages of, of my career. And, and now uh, we're working uh, on, you know, front end interactivity is like my, my specialty right now. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call to help me find a developer who can build it. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile developers that you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to g2i.co to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i has linked me up with experienced engineers that can fit my budget, and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works, and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to g2i.co to learn more about G2i. Nice. And G2 is the company that you can go and like compare tech tools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the Yelp for software. There you go. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this show is a show where we actually explore your code journey. So we'll start out with yeah how you got into programming and we'll just kind of work our way through .net and ruby and javascript and kind of see where uh how you got where you are now so um let's go ahead and just yeah roll back to the very beginning how did you get into programming um programming was a thing where i wanted to play video games mm-hmm. i had uh an Atari 2600 was my first uh, console unit. <clears throat> I loved it. Um, I wanted to do more. And then I uh, got a Coleco Atom, which was a, uh, um, it used uh, cassette tapes to mm-hmm. store uh, data as opposed to like a floppy disk or a hard drive. And right. uh, it lets you write basic. Mm-hmm. So, um, I liked like the visual arts too. And there was one, and my mom was a, uh, is she's alive, uh, but she did knitting. And so I like patterns and visual patterns. Right. And I, I tried drawing and then I learned that I could write commands in a computer, a language, and it would draw for me. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I was also, uh, only child of a single mom. So uh-huh. one of the things that would happen is she would like take me to a store where there'd be an array of computers. Right. And 
she would uh, know that she could leave me there and I wouldn't leave. <laughs> and she could go do some, some aisles of shopping and, and come back and uh, I'd be like, mom, look, it's my name going Dean, 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 you know, like in text in the terminal, uh-huh. you know, or doing some sort of thing like whatever right. I could, I could figure out in a few minutes. So it just came from a love of, of, of figuring out how to, make stuff move. How old were you? I'd say like uh, 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. So uh, I I guess I'm wondering then, when did you know that you were going to do this for a living? Um, Let's see. Certainly not when I went to college because uh, I liked the thought of engineering. Um, Mm -hmm. I liked the thought of civil engineering because I, I thought, you know, maybe there's some sort of a way to like, contribute to society and but I also had a real love of uh the Spanish language and uh this uh, and Latino Latinx <laughs> uh-huh. uh, culture and so I uh knew that I wanted to, to uh, study abroad in Spain in college and the College of Engineering uh did not have enough room in the schedule for me to pull off a study abroad semester Right. So I did, uh, uh, oh, you know, did the easy thing, just math and computer science. Uh-huh. That's, yeah. That's the diploma right there, you know. There you uh, go. Because there was a way to do uh, math and computer science and go to Spain. And when I was in Spain, uh, spring semester of 1996, I had an internship mm-hmm. at a company called Cibermundi. Uh, and uh, cybermundi.es, which no longer exists, but you can go through the Wayback Machine and find right. it, uh, was a little scrappy web development firm that was doing, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, live streaming of mm-hmm. concerts and uh, football, which is soccer, uh, yep. games, and you know, kind of some brochureware. Uh, have you heard that term for like just a few pages, uh, like a yeah. website that's like uh-huh. what you would use Wix for, but in the yep. old days there was, there was no Wix. So, um, yeah. So basically like I got to actually work on web projects, uh, while living in Spain and oh, staying nice. out till 4am and, uh, taking siesta, you know, with my coworkers and like, it was great. So I was kind of hooked once I got into like an actual uh, team, you know, production uh-huh. environment. I was, I was pretty hooked and I almost didn't finish my college degree actually, because I heard that that was the cool thing to do. I uh, worked for Bill Gates <laughs> and uh, I had gotten uh, a, a job in uh, web development as a part-time job my senior year and I was leaning into that so much. I, I started to drop some of my coursework, uh, uh, but I, I went back. I was on the five-year plan. Right. And, uh, and then I, yeah. So, so then, yeah, I was, I was like math and computer science was like, there's probably a job I can get out of this. Uh, but really I didn't even need my degree to have gotten that job because I was hired because of my internship, not because of my degree. Yep. Makes sense. So you go out, you get the internship, you're building stuff for the web. You mentioned you worked for Bill Gates. 
Uh, no, no, I was just inspired uh, by oh, Bill Gates. Like, well, if if you can drop off, uh, drop out of college and become a billionaire, that sounds like something I want to do. Yeah, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. Yeah, yeah. You know. So yeah, so you you get through college. How did you wind up in .NET? Uh, so there was a lot, a lot of Microsoft web development uh-huh. uh, in the beginning days. Actually, the shop that I was in was Java. Uh, initially, but um, but Microsoft had a really big presence, and you know, um, I don't know. They just they just they seemed, you know, basically there weren't boot camps, right? Right. At that at that time, um, so, and there was less open source going on. It mm-hmm. wasn't just like there was PHP. I, I had worked in PHP, but I don't know. It's like if you wanted to level up you needed like a course of study kind of. Right. And Microsoft had that in spades. And they, there was also this kind of a notion of a career path. Like I always felt like I enjoyed uh, explaining things, uh, tutoring. I did math uh-huh. tutoring in college and stuff. And Microsoft had a career path uh, that included uh, the Microsoft certified trainer yep. credential. And I did that. I became a Microsoft certified trainer over several years. And so like, I felt like I was progressing each certification test I took. Uh-huh. Now, I know how all this sounds now <laughs> to boot camp grads, computer science major, certifications. I know how that all sounds right now. But it was legit, the, the most uh, legit way to, to level up and get visibility promotions. There were companies that I worked at who were like, we want to have this many Microsoft certified people mm-hmm. on our staff so we can get discounts to the server software. And so they had, they had programs right. like that. So yeah, when I was doing IT at the university, um, I have a computer engineering degree. And so, yeah, we started off with Java. You mentioned Java, but uh, yeah, it was the same deal, right? Um, I was a part-time student, but if I went and got my certification, I pretty much had a guaranteed job. Right. Yeah. And, you know, with, with systems engineering and those certifications, the MCSE, mm-hmm. Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer, was such like the big credential. Oh, yeah. At the time. What, like, what is the equivalent body of knowledge of that these days? Do you have any idea? Like, is it like DevOps, but like something more specific? Than I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, back in the day, it was the MCSE, or you could go get the RHCE, which was the Red Hat Certified Engineer. Hmm. You could get your CCNA, which was the Cisco Certified Network uh, Administrator. Um, those were the ones that they were talking about back then. I don't know if they really have that level of certification now and especially where a lot more of it has moved to open source systems like um, Kubernetes and uh, you know, Cloud Foundry and things like that. I don't know that they're really certifications that are in any way official on those, but you can certify on like AWS, right? They have an AWS certification or a, I wouldn't be shocked if Microsoft has an Azure certification because at their conferences, they have free. You can go take the cert test for free. Oh. At Build and Ignite. So, yeah, you know, for the particular clouds, I can see that that's kind of probably the closest thing at this, at this point. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, different, different industry trends come and go, but yep. I, you know, for, for all the haters of certifications out there, it was certainly useful at a time. I don't really include, uh, not highly visibly anyway, uh, these certifications on my resume anymore, but right. I think they're there in a little call out somewhere, you know, that, that people are probably not reading, but, yeah. um, but you know, I'll tell you what I enjoyed about it was that it was like a course of study and solving the problems that your employers and clients throw at you. I just felt very boxed in by those problems specifically. Uh-huh. And if you just want to like kind of uh, develop your, your Bob Ross painting palette of all the colors that you can use, you know, you're going to have to self-study somewhere. And so I appreciated yeah. having a, uh, a systemic way of self-study. Yeah. Well, even today, I mean, you have Pluralsight or, you know, some of the other oh. course systems out there, right? And they'll walk you through step-by-step how to do stuff. Udemy has courses like that. True, true. There's a lot of that. One interesting thing that I found has almost gone away is the assessment component. So you can watch it, you can see it, you can follow along. And I, I know rote memory is like, you know, a, a, a frowned upon uh, phrase, but you know, it's kind of useful when something is right up there in your noggin. And so like, I don't look at tests as a way to, uh, to, to, to shame people or, you know, make people feel like, you know, uh, they, they don't know it all, but, like I find that you know the preparation for a test uh, and and the and the taking of the test and getting a thing wrong. I don't like to get things wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I do a practice test and I get some things wrong, I like actually go and study that stuff. And I remember right. because you know. So it's like I kind of think that some of the follow along while I code kind of courseware. This is the assessment component. So I actually have like written um, uh, real time assessment tools. Like when I was a teacher. I was like, so guys, I've been talking at you for months. You've been building projects. I've seen your projects. I know you know some stuff, but other than what you actually included in your project, what do you remember from this course? Just so I know. And also, if you didn't remember it, here's a printout with the links to all the references so Mm -hmm. that you can go reference it. I just want to send you away with more than just your projects, which is probably, in all fairness, how you're going to get the job but I also want you to be able to answer some of those interview questions that are a little more knowledge oriented and less right. practice oriented. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, and to, to a certain degree, if you understand the patterns and you can explain them, you know, that's not something, I mean, you'll see it in their code, but it's different if you can actually, yeah, break it down and explain it to somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I still copy and paste from stack overflow, but I, I like yeah. to know a little bit more about, what I just pasted in and why yeah. it worked. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. You said you then transitioned into Ruby. So what, what was that move like? So this is, this is actually a fun story. Um, there was, uh, oh, the God, this is a, a really fun story. So I was in my last like full-time Microsoft.net position. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be my last, but the the call to teaching uh, was uh, was was calling me again, 
And I don't know, a, a wanderlust was entering my, my bones at this time. Right. And um, I got a call. You know, I actually put in my two weeks notice at this Microsoft shop. You know what did it mm-hmm. for me? SharePoint. <laughs> I was done. I'd had enough of SharePoint. I just could not bear. That's funny. To code SharePoint anymore. Um, and uh, so I gave my two weeks notice. And you know, it's kind of awkward. Your final two weeks. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're a lame duck. And uh, I was trying to wrap things up and trying to kind of teach my coworkers on my, my stuff. Right. And then I got a call uh, saying that there was a contract.net position in a shop that was .net and Ruby. Mm. And I said, how soon do they want me? They said, how soon can you start? I said to my boss, two weeks, do you, do you really, do you need me here? Or can I pick up an opportunity? He said, go ahead, pick up an opportunity. I went, stopped at Sears. Yes, Sears. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> I'm like a dinosaur. Uh, um, Sears's aren't around anymore. Ugh, You're not Sears that much older than I am. Is. No, no, I know. No, we're dinosaurs, dude. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, and I bought a, a, a pre-wrapped shirt and tie and a pants uh-huh. and then went to the contract that afternoon. Oh, wow. <laughs> in those clothes. <laughs> That's funny. Only to find out that they didn't require that at all. I mean, they were a Ruby shop in the early days of Ruby. And uh-huh. they just had this one client that was on .NET. So anyway, there I was a .NET developer uh, outnumbered by all these Ruby devs. And I was like, what is this Ruby thing you are on? And uh, would you like to see how good I am at subversion? And they're like, you haven't heard of Git? <laughs> subversion man that brings and, back memories yeah and so it was just a really neat environment where i had a lot of people who were just a different breed of software developer different skill set you know uh-huh. weren't weren't necessarily the the college educated formally certified type uh were really great at building great web products and uh, so I kind of, I, I said I had a crush on Ruby at that right. time. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's what got me into that. I, I built um, a, uh, a, a, an app for me to learn Ruby. Um, it, it's a, a real-time player-to-player uh, chess game. No AI, just like a board and you can move pieces and I can move pieces and I see uh-huh. your moves and you see my moves. So I've kind of always been into real time because I don't like stuff that needs refreshing. That's <laughs> cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Trello is a nice real time ticket updating system. Uh-huh. Atlassian and Jira. I struggle with all the time. <laughs> they know it. I have nice conversations with them on Twitter. I send them support, you know, tickets and, you know, we're working on it. I'm not just a, a hater. 
anyway, I loved real time and I built like a chess learning app and I, my, my pitch was kind of, can I join the rails team, the Ruby rails team? And then uh-huh. I feel like I was close to doing that. Uh, but things happened at the company. Uh, they let the .NET client go. They let me go. Right. And, uh, I was on to the next thing. That's um, funny because I, my first development job, I was a Ruby guy at a .NET shop. And when the Ruby what? client went away, they let me go. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Nice. So anyway. So actually, I want to try something with you. I just, I just tried this in an earlier meeting. It's the virtual fist bump, which like uh-huh. we're kind of like obliged to do. Can we, can we see like how that goes here? Yeah. Okay. All right. That went, that went pretty well. That went pretty yeah. well. Okay. With the I did a virtual here. elbow bump on my last call just to be funny. Nice. Nice. Have you thought about learning to do native iOS development? Are you using Swift at work? Or maybe you've considered writing applications for macOS. We have a podcast that covers all of that called iFreaks. We have a new panel and a lot of exciting things to talk about. So come check us out at iFreaksShow.com. Yeah. So... Ruby in a .NET shop, .NET in a Ruby shop. Yeah. Interesting. It was an interesting kind of crossover time. So, so where did you wind up at then with Ruby and how did you wind up transitioning to JavaScript? Okay. So um, Ruby was, man, it was fascinating. It was a lot, a lot of learning. I, in retrospect, I was kind of early in the Ruby on Rails, uh, you know, adoption how how far back were you? So I think there had been three or maybe four rails confs. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly on the math. Yeah. I so we're talking what? 2010? No. Yeah. No. yeah maybe. Two, maybe. I think it was a little before that actually. Cause I actually, you know, 2011, I ended the three year, Jobs so 2008 so yeah maybe it's around 2006 or seven it was like when I was doing uh, some Ruby stuff and you know I think I've always I, I'm talking to you Charles and you're a developer and I know that mm-hmm. our audience is developers um, yeah so I, I I'm overemphasizing the development part of my life but like the truth is like although I'm very passionate about development like I've also been very passionate about like drumming and like right. music and stuff. So I think when my Ruby phase hit, I was kind of just, I was very interested at first and then I was kind of coasting for a long time. And uh, um, then there were some really awesome JavaScript developers in the company that I was doing right. Ruby at. And I had kind of overlooked JavaScript. It was easy to overlook uh, before 2007, man, <laughs> it was easy uh, because there wasn't even the jQuery type of stuff. Like you were like manually dealing with cross-browser stuff and like backend was like a place of control and consistency. And, and, and I liked that. Um, but I saw like stuff in JavaScript that yet again blew my mind that I didn't think was possible. I've been working inside of these class-oriented languages and when I saw like a function inside a function inside a function, uh-huh. I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> it's classes. There's yeah. classes and they have methods and methods don't have methods. What are you all thinking? Yeah. And 
it was such a challenge to my worldview that like I eventually just had to find out, you know, what was going on. And I had my my uh, chess learning project that had used the knockout JavaScript framework, uh-huh. you know, which is kind of written by some .NET folk. Um, and uh, so I don't know. It's just it's like it was like maybe it's time to look at JavaScript again. Mm-hmm. And then like a turning point uh, for me was when, um, so I now kind of left .NET. Um, I was focusing on Ruby with a little bit of JavaScript. And then um, this, this company that I was at around 2009, 2010 had said, um, we think our clients need a Microsoft Excel add-in. Uh-huh. So your options for implementing that are .NET. And I, I felt okay about starting it in .NET, but I wanted to like reuse styles from the main app so that uh-huh. it had the same look and feel. And I just said, why don't we use a .NET shell and then do like a browser control, an ActiveX mm-hmm. control, you know, on, on the form so that when they go to the add-in, they ha- they're in a web app, but it's just hosted inside of Excel. Right. And with some .NET bindings to talk to Excel. And it worked really fabulously. Um, the team grew, the clients uh, were happy, the number of clients grew. And I'm like, you know, JavaScript, you can really kick butt with JavaScript. Yep. And there was a lot that I didn't have to re-implement because also, you know, from 2007 to 2010, you know, you're seeing a lot more open source and a lot more like jQuery plugins and, and tools. So it's like, why would I turn my back on that toolkit and all and that community mm-hmm. if I could just use that stuff uh, inside of a you know Microsoft Excel uh, environment? And so it it worked. It worked pretty well. And so that kind of convinced me that JavaScript was was the thing I was good at, and that front ends and dealing with all of the uh, timing concerns and event-driven nature of them, uh, that just proved to be super, super interesting. Like in, in Ruby, you don't have this idea of like multiple things going on at the same time in the same way. Generally, I know people right. will say, but threads, you know, your Rails apps don't typically use threads. No. And, you know, they, they instead they use infrastructure they use redis sidekick uh-huh. they use these out of band things and all those things that you need infrastructure to accomplish on the ruby side you can do in javascript like just like straight up like as far as like offlining something you know yeah. uh, getting a call back later you know yeah. having concurrency yeah. uh it looks like you want to challenge that point a little bit go right ahead like let's let's talk about it <laughs> you read me pretty well no it's it's interesting because i i remember having this conversation especially when node started taking off and effectively it wound up being mostly due to the evented model in javascript as opposed to i mean people were talking about um how it had non-blocking io which ruby also has um, people would bring up a bunch of different things uh, related to that. But yeah, um, essentially it was just the way that Node handled um, threads and handled callbacks and handled 
you know, basically slotting in the different tasks. But, you know, people would, people misunderstood, I think, a lot of times that um, the multi-threadedness of, especially Node.js, it was still processor bound. And so, it was, you know, it had some of those same things. I don't know if they've solved that since then. I still, I use Node and I just don't pay attention to that. But mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a luxury on the front end yeah. to not have to be um, as concerned about yeah. starving other connections. Right. Yep. So, and it's also nice. Yes, I agree in JavaScript that, yeah, you can, you can say, okay, do this later or do this when this come back or do this, you know, under those circumstances. And yeah, Ruby doesn't have really a strong native way to do that. Yeah. Now I, I did work with uh, some folks at test double uh -huh. and they had the uh, Ruby concurrency library. Right. That, uh, Jerry D'Antonio was uh, maintaining. And uh -huh. That's very cool. I mean, futures, these kinds of abstractions over threads. Yeah. I think that's really promising on the Ruby side. I yeah. think it shows that like you can work with abstractions that are at a higher level than threads. Uh -huh. And those abstractions look actually very similar in Ruby and JavaScript. Yeah. Um, which to me is a sign that they're a more robust building block than like yep. rolling your own threads. A lot of the time there's never yep. a, blanket, a blanket rule. So Well, and they're working on adding features to the Ruby language itself to allow better concurrency across process, you know, multi-core processors and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting world, but yeah. It's a, it's a, there's a multi-fronted battle, right? <laughs> yep. Well, and ultimately it's just down to what tool is going to get you the job done and save you the most time, money, effort, resources, infrastructure, you know, whatever you're measuring. So, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I know like I kind of frame my career mostly in like the technologies uh, yeah. that I've kind of gone through and how they've motivated that uh, maybe to, 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 to round it out. Like, do you have any other like direction I, I, sh I should, you know, maybe talk about what would people want to know about uh, a 23 year developing a dinosaur or 21 or whatever. I don't know. Stop counting. Yeah. It's funny to think about that. You know, it's like, wow, it's been that long, but um, I, I guess kind of one of the things that I look for in a lot of these is just, you know, is there an overarching theme or lesson that you've noticed, you know, over the course of your career, right? Something that has come up frequently or something that you've learned, you know, moving from one technology to the next or, you know, working with different people in different companies on different projects? Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think I want to talk a little bit about um, something that I heard. Uh, there was a motivational speech um, by, by somebody. Uh, well, I know who it is, but I'm not trying to like... <laughs> promote mm -hmm. the person, but rather like the idea, you know, which was that um, once a person's back was to the wall and they had like no fallback plan, once they were all in on a thing, mm -hmm. that's when they found the clarity to tackle the challenges in front of them. Right. And I can definitely say that as a junior developer and even long after I've been given the title senior, which mm -hmm. we, we have a little bit of title inflation in this field. <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's be honest. 
because I, I think I'm still trying to grow into the senior uh, yeah. or the architect. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, but um, there's, there's a lot that I, I took for granted that was going on around me. And uh, it was, I sensed that I had kind of gotten soft. Like I didn't have my back to the wall anymore. And uh, I don't know why I felt that or how it came on, but it, it was, that was when I decided just uh, um, in like 2014 or 2015 to both be involved in the community and say that it isn't just my job. It's like, am I part of this fabric of this very interesting growing community uh, and take some responsibility on for like, I ran mm-hmm. a meetup for over 12 months. Um, so taking on more responsibility that my job didn't force me to. And then also I left my job and became a consultant. Genius Solutions Incorporated. Yes, mm-hmm. genius. that's my GitHub alias as well. Um, and so I had to sing for my supper and I had to really find out what it took to make clients happy and, uh, and, and not be such a technologically minded person, but be also like a relationship and service oriented person. And I'm, you know, definitely that's like a growth path for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it has anything to do with, uh, what age you are or when you start that I happen to work on a team where. I kind of find everyone on the team to already be in that mindset. And that's really awesome. Um, But to take on responsibilities that you, that you don't have to, and and remember it's not just about the technology, but I personally do believe that there's a lot that is about the technology. There are answers as we're seeing right now, technology answers certain problems and the difference between a good use of technology and a bad one can leave a lot of problems on the floor, in my opinion. Um, so I do care about the technology. And my, my growth path for me personally has also been to like care as much or more about the people. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, when I got into programming and into technology, you know, and got my first tech jobs. Yeah. I was so focused on the technology. And what I figured out is that, um, especially as things have gone on and gotten more complicated, the ultimate hack is people, you you know, so if, if you can work well with people, if you can communicate well with people, if you, um, you know, you get along well with people that that's going to be the thing that drives you forward. Yeah. You have to have tech skills, but those other things are really what's going to make things successful. Yeah. There's an architect that I work with who has said that he's thinking of uh, becoming a a teacher Uh because he feels that he's kind of topped out on the tech skills. Right. That he can, that he can have. Um, And, and so he, and he's like, I'm going to, yeah, potentially just, move to people. He wants to teach people tech. And that's also the thing that I was, you know, I was like, why not I have my tech and teach it too? Right. Absolutely. So I know that you have a little bit of a time constraint. Uh, Before we wrap up, we usually do picks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you have some things you want to shout out about for picks? Uh, 
can you go first? I'll think of a thing or two. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I need to figure out when this is going to go out, but uh, because of the whole coronavirus self-quarantine kind of situation that we're in, um, I've seen a whole bunch of conferences cancel and a whole bunch of meetups cancel. So I am putting together online conferences and online meetups so that we can, you know, virtual fist bump, right? And not get each other sick, right? Yeah. So um, you can go find it, uh, devchat.tv slash meetups and devchat.tv slash conferences, and you'll be able to see those. Um, Currently, I just have the JavaScript conference up. I'm talking to some folks about actually having them sponsor a React Native conference because Chain React got canceled. Um, and then I'm, I've got a couple of others like RailsConf got canceled. And so I'm working on putting one together for that. Um, and then just pulling some others together. I think I'm also kind of leaning towards some that I don't know if they're going to have conferences canceled, but I'm also looking at DevOps, uh, DevSecOps, which is security focused, uh, agile development. I think I already mentioned soft skills. I have a soft skills summit and yeah, just, just put some stuff out there because, um, you know, I, I've, I've heard rumors that there's a medication out there that went through a trial that looks like it'll help people, you know, it, it cures coronavirus. But I don't know how long it's going to take to get out there. I don't know if after so many trials we're going to find that it's, you know, only so effective for only so many kinds of people or what. And so um, I just want to make sure there's stuff out there. Uh, the online meetups, I'm just going to do one a month or two a month, sorry, for each community. And what I'm doing is I'm doing one in the morning mountain time and one in the evening mountain time. And what that does is it opens things up so that if you're in Asia, you can get up a little bit early in the morning and join the afternoon US time one. Or if you're in Asia, the one I'm doing in the morning, or not Asia, Europe, sorry, Europe, uh, Israel, um, Africa, those kinds of time zones, it'll wind up being in the afternoon or evening for you. And that way, yeah, we can kind of do that. So I'm going to be reaching out to folks and seeing if I can get people to come and just, you know, do a 20 minute presentation, get a couple of those in there and then just find a way to facilitate some interaction, some chit chat there. So what we'll probably do is um, allow people to raise their hands. We'll actually invite them into the call. So it'll pop up a little thing and it'll say, can we use your video? And microphone and then they'll be part of the conversation for five or 10 minutes so they can ask questions they can jump in on whatever conversation we're having and then we'll just rotate people through and that way people can get some of that interaction because i feel like the community needs to be able to come together and i I, i'm not seeing any other better options so yeah well that's being an entrepreneur and starting something to to fill a need i yeah that, that that's kind of my my pick right now too is, is look around for, for needs uh, and use whatever skills you have, whatever compassion and heart you have Mm -hmm. to, to fill those needs Uh, as bad as uh, any one of us has it. There's, there's somebody who has it worse. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think about the healthcare workers. And Mm -hmm. so I have, uh, seen, okay, so here's one. Um, I don't know how immediately actionable this is going to be, but I would say looking for opportunities like these, there is an, uh, uh, open source, uh, create a ventilator, uh, hack, hack a day, hack a day. Oh, wow. I think it is. Um, so the, uh, 
yeah, the idea of kind of crowdsourcing uh, needs is pretty interesting. Um, so, uh, and, and even in a simpler way, I'll, I'll say that there was something on the news last night where um, some people just donated a bunch of meals to hospital workers. Um, hospital workers are, if this is a war, they're like on the front line. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just kind of like conveying your, your thoughts and prayers, but any actions you can uh, towards, um, towards the people who are on the front line. Heck a day, you found it. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Uh, just on that note too, I mean, I've seen Facebook groups pop up, at least in my area where people were saying, Hey, if you have extra medication, this, that, you know, that people might need, right. Um, post it here. If you need, you know, any, you know, diapers, whatever, right. And you can't find them in the store or you can't go to the store because you're, you know, you're at risk, post it here. Right. And I mean, people have been dropping stuff off at other people's houses that they don't even know. Like they just leave it on the porch. You know, Mm -hmm. I got you. It'll be there in 20 minutes. It shows up in 20 minutes. And that kind of stuff is just awesome. And so whether it's calling your elderly neighbor and making sure that they're okay and that they don't need anything that you can go to the store for them if you're not at risk or just anything like that. I mean, there's so many people doing so many great things to just take care of each other and not really caring, caring about all of the idiotic stuff or seemingly idiotic stuff that we all argue and scream at each other about on Twitter. It doesn't matter anymore at least in these um, circumstances, it's just, they have a need, I can help. And we just take care of each other. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, to the coronavirus, we all just look like a bunch of pink lungs. Yep. So uh, people have been uh, doing uh, online music and education stuff. Uh, nice. So uh, that's also a, a pick of mine, like a shout out to all the people who are just doing what they do online for the benefit of everybody else, teachers and, and, yep. and uh, artists and stuff like that. So uh, I could play us out. Yeah, do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, this one is called Waterbound, but it kind of is more like homebound at this point. There's no words. It's just a little ditty. So feel free to talk over it and, uh, you know, fade us out in the edit. Okay. (laughs) It's all good. I'm just going to listen. Okay. I'm like all nervous or whatever. There's, there's lyrics. Let me try that again. But the lyrics go, Waterbound and I can't get home. Waterbound and I'll never get home. Okay, I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> it's all good. All right. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for coming and talking to me. And yeah, um, I really love the thoughts that you're putting out there as far as just, yeah, what can we do? You too, man. So, all right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up, folks. And until uh, next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.